new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm Tracy Pearson. You are Tracy Pearson. I was trying to match your It's hard your to match my radio voice because I'm always, I'm always throwing, throwing a curveball. We should do the entire thing in our radio in our radio voices. It hurts after a while. It does. It very much. Yeah, hurts. it's not good. Um, you always fall back into uh, you know laconic, lazy talk. That's what we do um, here. Yeah, on the broadcast, lazy talk. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, basketball is is uh, heading into uh, senior night against Arizona. They blew out ASU last night. Marcus Adams, uh, coveted uh, top 30 prospect, um, technically in the class of 2024, still kind of uncertain which class he's eventually going to be in. He's visiting this weekend. He's going to announce next week. Um, We've got some Pac-12 speculation news somewhere in that vicinity. Um, And then we've got some football recruiting to talk about uh, this upcoming weekend. So it's a jam-packed show, Tracy. Jam-packed. We're packed with jam. We're packed with jam. Uh, let's start off with that. And you've got two, like, we both have great sources on the Pac-12, and our great sources. information is slightly different. Great sources. Great wow. sources. Top-tier sources. Yeah. I do not know the name of mine. Um, all right. <laughs> those are the best kind. We love those kinds of sources. All right. So, uh, we're going to start off with basketball. Um, so, last night, UCLA uh, kicked off its final homestand of the season. Uh, with ASU, um, this was a game coming into it where Greg wrote a really compelling uh, note on the message board that we turned into a front page story about how this is a tr- real trap game because trappiest of trap, the trappiest of trap games because UCLA had already clinched the Pac-12, so there was no uh, conference reason to you know need to win this game, and two, it's the game before the game. It's the game before Arizona, which is the revenge opportunity for the uh, one of the two conference losses, as well as uh, the final game for Jaime Hawkes and potentially uh, and David Singleton, and then potentially some others. So you know you could see it as being a trap, a look ahead spot, all of those different things. So going into that one, you might have been a little bit concerned uh, about it, and then. Um, UCLA, despite Amari Bailey, I think maybe like some just like temporary colorblindness, something like that. Um, he he had recorded for seven turnovers. I think he had ten. Um, despite that, uh, they 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 
they knocked their socks off. They they blew them out. They they smeared them in the dirt. Um, Seventy nine sixty one, and the entire second half was more or less a laugher. Yeah, um, you know, uh, ASU is a little bit worrisome because high volatility, uh, high variance. Oh my God, they lost to San Francisco by a million and then blew out Oregon on the road. I mean, all they and you can tell why watching them. They'll just dribble down. I think the announcer last night even said, "This is like a for ASU. They this is kind of like a pickup game." The worst. So the worst color commentator I've ever listened to was still like dead on about ASU's style of play. Was still like, "Wow, that's a bad shot. They made it, but wow, what a bad shot." That's a big statement, Dave. There are some really bad commentators. Uh, he twice, twice, Tracy no, said that right. David, David Singleton, Singleton was not a perimeter shooter. I rewound just to make sure, and I go, well, he's, he just misspoke. No, he, he for some reason, he thinks David Singleton is more of a driver. He said he said shooter. at one point that ASU's defensive plan was to uh, let Jaime Hawkins and Tiger Campbell beat you but cover everyone else. That, that a, would work. That's a great plan to lose by 20 points. <laughs> So that's why it's it's still scary though because we've seen ASU sustain their pickup ball style and hit threes throughout a game. Yeah, um, they did it against Oregon. Uh, but but the thing UCLA is geared probably the best to beat a team like that because if you play really good defense. Uh, ASU didn't seem to get that, you know, UCLA is going to contest every passing lane, every everything. And they just played so lackadaisically on offense in the second half that you knew you, you just we know this team when they were down 12 to two. You know, yeah, yeah, just just there's going to be a huge run that's fueled by by defense speaking of that lack of awareness because i want to touch on that for just a second it seemed like every time ucla got a switch where one of ucla's guards was having to guard the big guy um it ended up with a turnover (laughs) because asu literally never realized okay when that happens they're going to front the post and jump in front of the pass so we need to throw it high they kept throwing bounce passes to the big guy and like Tiger Campbell, I think he got three steals that way. Just yeah. oh, I'm going to jump in front of that and take the ball away. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And 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 honestly, that's a huge advantage. Washington is a load. Yeah. Who among all the guys Bona Dembona has has guarded this year, he can struggle a little bit with Washington. Yeah. He's big and long, and they they just couldn't really effectively utilize him. No, no. Because that's not what they do. No, they they jack horrible shots. Weird leaning I sw- off there was, balance. There was one in transition where I swear to God the guy jumped, but he was he was at a full sprint and never jump stopped. So <laughs> as he was shooting, he was still floating through the air like seven or eight feet. It was insane, and he took the shot. There was the other one in like with like two and a half minutes to go where the guy gets the offensive rebound. Nice play. Great. You can kick it out. No, no, no. I'm going to take a turnaround three from the baseline. That's what I'm going to do. Is that wrong? <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. And then I don't, obviously UCLA has a, a pretty high intensity coach in Mick Cronin during games. Yeah. But Bobby Hurley, I don't know about your HDTV. The whites of his eyes. He needs he needs behavioral when, therapy. 
the whites of his eyes when he gets really mad wow man they it looks it looks really frightening on tv he needs he needs therapy he needs to be in therapy there's there's too much going on there he was he was so insanely mad about calls in like the first four minutes of this game it's just you cannot like cronin he'll he's like um He'll, he'll he'll be like kind of incensed at his team, you know, if they're like starting out, uh, uh, you know, kind of rough. But the stuff that would actually hurt his team, you know, yelling at the ref, he's a slow burn. Like yeah. it takes until the end of the first half, beginning of the second half before, and this will be when they're totally getting screwed before he really gives it to him. Uh, Hurley was screaming and like doing the full like histrionics on the sideline in the opening minutes. And the thing is. There are games when you can see the calls going one way. I try to be objective. That There were some bad calls on both sides. It wasn't like blatantly. It, I thought it was bad against UCLA early. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. I didn't want to go that far. And then it was, bad. Just... it was bad against ASU in the middle stretches right. of the game. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't so, consistent at any point. They weren't. It wasn't bad, bad. It was weighted one way, and then it was weighted the other way. So both of them would have been justified in being pissed off, uh, but not as not as insanely as Bobby Hurley was in the opening minutes. Yeah. So that game, um, sometimes when you watch UCLA's defense, they're getting those deflections and Jalen Clark is jumping it. You go, is that real? I'm, you know, like there are certain things that you think have been faked. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you think that's just fake. I, I mean, did you just pass that ball to Jalen Clark? I mean, well, it's the kind of that's stuff, the way it seemed in the second half. It's so bad time. that you worry that it's not sustainable. But now we've we've <laughs> we've gotten to the point where we're thirty games into the year now, right? It, this UCLA team, for whatever reason, it forces offenses to play that way. Like, and it's not just ASU. ASU was particularly sloppy, but frankly, they only had sixteen turnovers. It's just. Of those 16 turnovers, I think 10 of them were live ball steals. And they got how many points off the turnover? <laughs> yeah, they got That's t- the thing. 29 like points 37 off. points. Tw- I think they scored off of every single one of the turnovers. Um, That's because those turnovers were bad. Horrible. Kick out horrible. Passes. And, and, the, re- and the, the, the reaction time of the guys making the turnovers to actually get back on defense was so slow. Every, everything. The pass was in slow motion. The getting back was in slow motion. But we, we we need to talk about Jaime Hawkes. I, I don't know if he had more monster dunks in any other game than that one. It was interesting. It, the tomahawk off the right yeah. side. I didn't know what he was doing yeah. first. Yeah. That was fun. The interesting thing, um, and this was something that he said, which you might have been able to speculate on because he didn't, I don't think before this game, I can't remember the last time he dunked. Like, I think it was in December or November, maybe. Um, he talked about it in the post game and said, I was scared to jump. Like, I had to kind of just say F it and do it because, and I think I would wonder, like, the psychology of it, tweaking his ankle against Colorado on just some kind of like BS out on the perimeter. Maybe that made him say, Look, I could, I can get hurt anytime. So why not go out there and have some fun um, and, you know, put on a show for everybody in my last two games? Because if you remember, like, Jaime, not a elite athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but straight line drive, get up there and, and throw down a powerful dunk was part of his game um, up until the ankle stuff last year. 
So to see that again was pretty cool. Um, and, and and we're talking about a guy, you know, bro is always talking about, you know, who offensively is going to carry this this team. You know, they they were used to watching Johnny Juzang, you know, during that 20, 2020, 2021 run yeah. where he was shooting the lights out during and averaging like, what did he average? 24, 25 points a game. Jaime Hawkes is right there right now. He just does it differently. He's way better. You know, he's got his old man rec, rec center moves, but he's just as effective. He scored, what, 25 last night? 26. 26. I mean, he is just as, and, and more efficient by far. Well, and that's the thing, is he's way more efficient than Juzang ever was. Um, right. And he does, I mean, he, there's a lot of things. There's so many things. His usage right now, is way higher than it's ever been. He right now has uh, basically the same turnover rate he's had the last two years while his usage has increased, you know, significantly. There's no Juzang on this team now to take over uh, when Hawkes doesn't have it going. But despite that, I mean, he had one turnover last night. One in 35 <laughs> minutes against a, for most of the last 12 minutes, a press. And he had one turnover. Um that's crazy for a guy who handles the ball as much as he does and who is not, you know, by nature a point guard. Um, th- there's just so much about his game right now that is, you know, Johnny Juzang was a good scorer at the college level. Jaime Hawkes is a National Player of the Year candidate. These, these are two different things. So let's talk about uh, both you and Mike Regalado wrote something about Mr. Hawkes mm-hmm. recently, and that's all great. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about purely subjective of who our favorite Bruins are of all time. Sure. I'll I'll just throw some out for me because I, you know, I was a child of the sixties and the seventies. I mean, I, I do remember a big impression on me were two guys that was Gail Goodrich because I was left-handed. He was left-handed. The dude just seemed like he could any time he went to shoot that, that ball went in. Yeah. (laughs) He was one of those guys. And then Sidney Wicks was the biggest freak. I remember literally very at a young age watching him and going, that's not human. That That's ridiculous what that dude could do, right? So those two really stood out. I got to admit, before he went off on his peyote-laced rants, Bill Walton was a freak of a college basketball player. He he truly was. He He was phenomenal. And then recently, it's our it's our guy Aaron Aflalo. Um, so I I'm I'm saying this because I think Aaron uh, Jaime Hawkes has, has moved into my top five favorite Bruins of all time. Yeah, I mean he's definitely there for me, but my my history goes back much uh, less. So you know mine starts more in like the late Lavin years than. Uh, Oh, poor, yeah, poor, no, child. poor me. Um, so, you know, Jaime's there. Um, Aflalo's there. Luke is there. Um, and then in like, you got to pick like one from the Alford years. So it's probably like Aaron Holiday. Um, but Jaime, I mean, I don't, the, the, the way he plays in the back half of the season, because I think, this has been true of him for a while, is that the first part of the season, he's kind of, 
I don't know if it's playing into shape. I don't know if it's, eh, I'm just going to kind of float through this. I'm paying attention to some other stuff. Whatever. Um, it's still pretty good. It's kind of unfocused. Um, but in February and March, uh, the way he plays, um, it's hard to think of the analog for it for me. Um, because he can impact in so many different ways when he is fully 100% energized and locked in. Um, like his, his ability to, um, increase, increase his output in every way when he, um, brings the requisite level of energy is uncanny. That's why I always say about him, he, the biggest thing he's going to have to realize for his pro career. And I think he'll have a long one if he realizes this is that when he, his superpower is his ability to play at hundred percent output. Um, like when he is giving hundred percent energy, like right now, athletically, should he have, uh, you know, the best offensive rebounding rate of like a non-center in the league? No. Should he have the best defensive rebounding rate on the team? Probably not. But it's because of that incredible energy that he can play with when he is 100% locked in. I mean, this is a dude who, you know, we just saw him dunk three times. He hadn't dunked since November. He has, I think, the second highest block rate on the team. Um, it's just... He's able to do things that you wouldn't otherwise expect because he plays with such incredibly high energy. Um, and you can see the adrenaline sometimes. Like that second three he took, um, if you were watching, off his hand, you had you were like, oh, yeah, there's no chance that ball is going in because he threw it at 75 miles per hour um, off the back of the rim. Like there was no chance it was going in because he's always playing in these types of games. He's always playing with that just absolute adrenaline, 100% energy. And you'll take a missed shot because it impacts in so many other ways when he's playing like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a guy who elevates his game um, in in the moments you want game elevated, right? And, and yeah, it, and on defense too, just that y'all might not have noticed. Uh, Devin Cambridge had his worst game of the season. Yes. And it was uh, – Hawkins had him most of the time and had him just locked up. Yep. Worst game by far. And that dude that dude can get hot. He had two points on yep. one of four. Not even – yeah, bad shooting, one of four. But he only got four shots off. I mean, pretty phenomenal overall game. Um yeah, so I think Jaime's. I think he's in my. I I think he's solidly in my top five of all time, which is really fun for me. Um, one other thing about the game last night when they stretched it out to a double digit lead, and then Joe Lenardi came oh on. Oh my good god! Wait, wait, wait! It was it was it, it was great timing because that's right when I. Think Jaime threw down that tomahawk dunk, which they missed. They missed in real time because yeah. they were cutting between um, the 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 regular feed and then putting Lunardi on the screen again. What? But he did say something though that got me distracted. And correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he said because Purdue was losing to Wisconsin. Uh-huh. UCLA keeps doing uh, wins against ASU with the the way they're winning right now, and Purdue loses to Wisconsin. Uh, they're going to move into that number one seed in his bracket. And so I was, I, I have to admit, I started watching the Purdue Wisconsin and I, and I cursed it as soon as I did that. Yeah. Then, they lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is like, I don't think it, 
I it doesn't all matter, but I would have wanted to see Lunardi finally give that up. You almost prefer to be the top two seed. Um, eh, I agree. Because uh, there's too much, because of the way the regionals are set up, there's too much possibility that um, one of Kansas or Houston ends up in Vegas instead because they'll be seated ahead of UCLA. Yep. So, um, but Jaime, uh, incredible game. Uh, Jalen Clark. His second half was maybe the most encouraging thing in the entire game for me, uh, because that was that was Jalen Clark. That was his game, um, and he's kind of gotten away from it of late, especially on the glass. Uh, he averaged four rebounds a game in February, um, and then he had eleven last night, uh, ten in the second half, um, and doing all the junk things that he needs to do. Um, you know, just crash the offensive glass and put it back, because he's really good at that. It doesn't rely on him creating. It doesn't require on him uh, shooting his floater. It's all just, okay, I'm going to grab the ball and put it back in. Um, that is his game. And when you have him and uh, Bona in the game at the same time, uh, one on one end of the basket, one on the other uh, on the offensive glass, I mean, they're, they're getting that miss at least half the time. At least. Um, that's not a bad formula. Just have Jaime and Tiger jack up shots and have Jalen and uh, and Bona and, and friggin' Amari Bailey, uh, who also had four offensive rebounds, just have him hanging out in the key. You know, that's an offense right there, baby. Yeah. So that leads us to Saturday's game. Arizona. Damn. Where the wind comes I, I, sweeping down the plane. That's okay, well, actually. Yeah, that's Arizona. Um, do you remember a game that was this anticipated let's say not big because this really isn't that big of a game at there's been bigger i think but it's pretty big obviously there's but, been some anticipated games in the in the like complexion of a season but in terms of in terms of like a culmination for like Hawkes, for all these guys who have really brought the program back not just to like oh you're pretty good but to elite status I can't remember it. I mean, for the, just the, the confluence of events. You've got Arizona, the clear number two in the league this year, also a team that beat them earlier this year. Um, you know, the still, I think, outside competition for uh, the top seed. So it's a big game. And then you've got, it's the last game of the season. And it's the last game for Jaime Hawkes in Poly Pavilion, the last game for David Singleton in Poly Pavilion, maybe the last game for... Several other guys in Poly Pavilion. Um, we should talk about that. Yeah, it's nuts, man. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be electric atmosphere. It's going to be a ball burner. It will be a ball burner. <laughs> That's our one of our biggest takeaways of the Jim Herrick era. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Um. Yeah, who stays or who goes? We are always talking about this. And it's just, you know, it's fluid and it's trending. But I, I could... Not much has changed since I wrote that one article. I'd, I'd say it's probably still pretty expected that Jalen Clark leaves, stays in the... Did, they're did, all going to test... Did, did, all those guys are going to test the waters. Listen to my man Jalen last night, though? I did. It sounded so when when I think it was Ben or whoever asked him. So have you thought about whether this is your uh, last game in Poly Pavilion? He begins shaking his head as the question is being asked and is like dismissive of even the idea, and then says, "Look, it's not going to be a shock if I come back." So I think he's covering because remember in an can't remember which interview he made it sound. Oh, it was after last weekend's games where he said. Yeah, well, this could be my last games too. So, I don't believe anything that they say in those things. Look. About returning. Anyway. Anyway. Jaime Hawkes knows what he's doing. <laughs> Jaime Hawkes is out. He's gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I mean, we've dealt with this all in football too. I mean, John Gaines pretty much kind of said, and John Gaines, great guy. He pretty much sounded like he was returning, and then boom, he's NFL draft. Yeah. So I, you can't go by what they say. But I, I would think a lot of the things that I know, I think right now leaning towards Jalen Clark leaving. But Amari Bailey staying and probably a Dembona staying. Because like I think we've talked about it. Dembona is going to get in that combine. And realistically, what's he going to be measured in socks? Six, eight and a half, six, nine. Oh, okay. I'm thinking maybe 6'8". I'll say 6'8". I don't know. That that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna. If he had made that little <laughs> elbow jumper last, well, not even elbow. It was like ten feet. That might have changed the whole thing. For me. <laughs> no. But you know what I'm saying. I I I. There's enough. I, I think there's a. Uh, enough that will make him return. NIL is a powerful thing. He could possibly get some NIL money uh, to stay at UCLA. Um, and everyone's all concerned about international players. Can they get the money? The way the rule the rule works for international players, all they got to do is step foot outside of the United States and they're able to get NIL money. That's what many international players have already done. Um, I would say those two return. I, I'm, I've heard seriously that no one knows. Everyone's speculating about Tiger Campbell that he's going to go. But no one knows. And if you're going by what he says in interviews, he always says, hey, I've got another year. Yeah. <laughs> I, love it when he, I love it when he does that. It cracks me up. Um, so there's a makings of a pretty nice roster next year. Um, 
you've got the three already committed in 2023. Uh, if you would have Dylan Andrews as point guard, let's say Tiger Campbell does leave, and Amari Bailey as your combo guard, shooting guard, um, Will McClendon and Sebastian uh, Mack. incoming Sebastian Mack. You heard um, Mick talk about Mack. Mick talked about Mac. Mac, about being at the top of that uh, zone press. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then uh, if Bona returned, Nawuba, from what I heard, he's going to use that super senior year. Things could change. Haven't heard anything about Mac in deciding he wants to transfer, that he's pretty happy. Until somebody transfers out of this program, I'm sort of done speculating about it because yeah. it seems like. Well, over... I, I would. I wouldn't. I'm not speculating. If I had heard something, I'd tell you. No, 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 anything. no. But like, yeah. I, I, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying you're speculating. I'm just saying like we've done that in the past where we're like, well, you know, they might not. You know, they might want to get out. You know, because they don't get enough playing time. But like, look at Jalen Clark for just one example. I mean, he played. I think it was like eight minutes a game his first year, and. You know, could have decided right then to transfer, but he stayed each of these years. And this year, he's finally having a big role. But last year, I mean, he was again kind of secondary. Guys just aren't leaving. I think that's a Bramo Zonka's future right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I'm sorry if I'm a little uh, sensitive about that speculation thing because I love it when I write something on the board and someone says, "I don't know, Tracy, your spe your speculation might not be right." Yeah, I I'm not. A lot of times it's not speculation. So sorry, Dave, for snapping at you. Oh, it's fine. Um, but the 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 big thing there is I, I just look at this roster and I say, you know, if really a big part of it comes down to, uh, for me, Jalen Clark. Because, you know, you just you, you said it, you know, he's potentially leaning towards leaving. If you add him to that roster. So Tiger coming back is a bonus. That's nice. But... It, if you watch Dylan Andrews this year, I think you're pretty excited about the future. Um, sort of the Dang, same way. Just last night, his on-ball so, defense. It's, it's ridiculous. That, that was one of my top three or four takeaways from last night. Yeah. And how much did he play? Six minutes? Six minutes. Um, wow. He's, he's, that is something to watch. He's so quick. It's, it's incredible. Not just he's quick, but his anticipation. He's a bulldog, too. Um, wow. It's fun. So him, like... If if you're replacing Tiger with Andrews, I think you're running into like essentially a Farmar Darren Collison situation where it's like replace them. I don't know if it's a big downgrade, frankly. Um, but if you get Tiger back, great. You know, you've got a better guard rotation, you've got a proven shooter, which you're gonna need next year, sure. Um, but Jalen Clark, right now, if you're projecting that essentially the big wing position that Jaime plays, the power forward and you know, the parlance of uh what used to be. Uh, there isn't really an obvious one. Yes, Abramo Zonka could develop into that guy. Is he going to be that guy next year? I don't know. Um, yes, there's going to be options out there in the international market, but... And transfer market. Yeah, and in the transfer market. But if you're talking about what's a proven commodity, what's a, what's a okay, what's the guy that can make this work? The, the, the number one recruit is Jalen Clark. Um, if you can get him to come back, and you add him to a roster that includes Amari Bailey, um, you know, that includes Adem Bona, uh, that potentially includes Tiger Campbell or Dylan Andrews at point guard. That's a team that can, again, make a pretty considerable run. See, here, here's an interesting element of that, too. So NIL is obviously a big factor. 
in recruiting and in retaining players if they go pro or not. Basketball's different, um, especially the way UCLA's NIL collective have structured its deal for the basketball team. It's not like football. Basketball is striving, we've reported this a number of times, is striving to give every scholarship player and actually some walk-ons from what I'm hearing, which is pretty an amazing deal. Go walk on at UCLA and make some NIL money. Wow. Yep. Um, but the scholarship guys, like a base, should I use the word salary? No, let's just say a base amount of NIL revenue. So with that base and then maybe some added other deals, if you return, it might, let's say Jalen Clark, obviously you're not going to make NBA money, but you have to consider that you would come back and make some NIL money in Jalen Clark's senior year and minimize the risk of going, of staying in the draft and maybe maximizing your chances of becoming a first round pick next year. Well, and here's the thing I'd say about Clark is, um, so what would you say is the number one thing that he has to do to be a better prospect? It's pretty, I mean, I think in the eyes of the NBA, it's just develop, and I know where you're going because you wrote this in your review. He has to develop a more consistent outside shot. So right now, as a freshman, 20%. As a sophomore, about 26%. As a junior, almost 34%. And volume, too. Volume has increased. As a sophomore, 27. This year, it's 74. Whoa, whoa! That's 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 even more significant that he he jumped he's, up percentage wise with that much more volume, and he's able to get it off, um, which is another big thing for him because his shot is still kind of a set shot, but he's able to get it off against um, some contesting now. Which, it's become a little bit more jumpy, though. a little bit more exactly, yeah. and um, the you know the arc, the look of it's a little bit better. It's not hard to imagine him getting up above 36, 37% next year. Um, Where is he right now? He's, a, he's almost 34. Wow, okay. And you wouldn't think it because everyone... That's com- not a bad three-point shooter. Everyone everyone complains about his shot. Everyone says he shouldn't be taking threes. Uh, Bill Walton, what did he say? Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't make those very often. Sometimes. He's hitting 34% this year. So Hey, Bill, 34%. So if he comes back... And he is able to hit that shot at a more regular rate while doing all the other Jalen Clarky things. Um, that's that's the kind of thing that he's you know got first round potential. This year he doesn't. Um, I don't think he's been consistent enough, really. Um, and I don't. I actually don't know how well he's going to test um, because a lot of his athleticism is not like the super explosive variety. I would say. Yeah. Yep. Um, where he's going to jump out of the gym and you know throw down hammer dunks and do all the stuff. That is makes he you... fast twitch? He's so his an, not. his anticipation is so good that I think it yeah. masks a little bit of it. Yeah, um, he's a really good athlete. He's kind of a football athlete, actually, in some ways. Um, He'd be so quick as a football. player. He would be. Um, but anyway, uh, if he can get his skill development up, though, I think his his athleticism, his anticipation, his um, his feel. Um, because it kind of got distracted a little bit by, um, I, or, or got obfuscated a little bit by, um, I think some of the things he was forcing. He does have a really good feel, um, and all of that combined, I think he's got the potential to be a first round pick. But he has to shoot it better. He has to show a little bit more offensive savvy. 
And I think with another year of development, he can do it. What's the difference in just say money in your contract mid second round compared to? I have no idea anymore. Yes, you do. You know? No, dude, I don't. Uh, I thought I always relied on you. That you then you always you used to no, make that up, and I so, believed you. So the math has changed a lot because you know you can get considerable amount of money from like G League deals, from the two way deals, from all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That yep. it it it's a better it's a better ramp up now than it used to be um, where you can make what used to be bad decisions work out for yourself because the money is better at all those right. levels and you can play G yourself. league is what 400,000 a year, something like that. I don't know. I have no idea. I I've just, I, I know what I've read. I'm not, I'm yeah. not citing numbers at you, um, <laughs> but he's a, uh, you know, he's going to have options. The question is, and this is the part where there was a lot of noise made about Mick Cronin's development ability based entirely on Peyton Watson and Johnny mm-hmm. Juzang. Um, Peyton Watson, who was a freshman who was not ready uh, in any real way. Um, and then Johnny Juzang, who, um, aside from one really explosive NCAA tournament run, not really an NBA prospect, um, that I think it, it it has unfairly maligned Cronin as a bad developer when development is maybe his best quality as a coach. Um, and if you look at the guys he's had uh, for a cons- like look at David Singleton this year compared to David Singleton in Cronin's first year, two entirely different guys. Um, his defense is his defense is at a level now with the shooting combined where he might have a 10 year pro career, not in the NBA, but he might have a 10-year pro career when nothing about his body, nothing about his athleticism, nothing about, you know, all of that would dictate that he should. Um, so there's uh, – I think there's a real developmental argument for Clark to uh, stick around another year. Definitely an argument. It's just, as we've always said, it comes down to the decision. And a lot of times that is not based on anything what you just said. Totally. Um, yeah. But Arizona tomorrow, going to be a fun game. Uh, if you, uh, one thing, one thing, wait, just in rewinding a little bit, I mean, unless you want to talk about Arizona first, because we're kind of setting the table for next season's roster, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Adams, six, seven, six, eight forward high scoring can really shoot, can really, he's, he looks like a power forward, looks like six, eight, probably two ten. uh, kind of thickish, looks like a power forward, but combines inside, outside, you know, has great footwork and score around the basket, but can really take people off the dribble and can really shoot a uh, big time scorer. Um, he is, will start his UCLA official visit just hours away. Um, this weekend, he'll be in attendance for UCLA's game against Arizona on Saturday. And then he will announce on Tuesday. It's between UCLA, Syracuse and Kansas. He's already visited Syracuse and Kansas. Kansas. Um, NIL will, will be a factor. Uh, staying home, being close to home will be a factor. Uh, the fact that he's affiliated with the Compton Magic AAU program, which is really has close ties to UCLA's program. UCLA's assistant coach Rod Palmer was the former roommate of the founder of Compton Magic. Um, so UCLA's got a lot of Compton Magic guys, uh, including right now um, Jalen Clark uh, and Devin Williams. 
Um, right now, I'm feeling UCLA for this, uh, for Marcus Adams. So when we're talking next year, I mean, the big hole next year will be that uh, Jaime Jaquez is that kind of wing forward position. Uh, Marcus Adams would be, a, if he does come in in fall, he would be a true freshman. So obviously, probably a lot of turnovers. <laughs> um, but he would be a candidate to step in and actually fill that among between him and the other uh, Brandon Williams that committed kind of similar game uh, kid from New York who's uh, signed uh, Marcus Adams um, by far more ready to play. Uh, so that brings me to 2023 or 2024. It's funny that people keep putting it the way that he you know, wants to reclassify to 2023. Um, everyone is calling him 2024 because his AAU program and a lot of people around him were calling, had had told everyone, you know, call him 2024. But he is 2023. He's in his fourth year of high school. It's a matter of whether he qualifies by NCAA standards. I've heard it's not necessarily um, where the grades aren't good. It's a matter of credit he could take all the way through this high school semester and maybe through um, summer also to determine whether he qualifies for the fall. Um, and then I also want to throw in generally, and this is with no, not implying any kind of position at all, but I did say that UCLA is doing well with an international, elite international prospect who would have a big impact on the team next year. So there's all that. Now, okay, talk about Arizona. Uh, Arizona's tomorrow. Um, uh, they beat USC last night. Um, if you watched any of the game, it was kind of varying levels of attention from Arizona. Um, they, you know, periodically allowed a USC back into it. Uh, Drew Peterson got hurt. He was kind of banged up throughout the game. Um Boogie Ellis did his Boogie Ellis. I just want to say this. Boogie Ellis has played a really, really, really good back half of the year. Uh, I think so too. He's his scoring in February was out of control. Now, how much of that was UCLA jumpstarting him? Eh, maybe a big part, but, um, but man, when he goes up for a shot, you, you just now assume that thing's going in. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Um, but anyway, uh, he was, he was, uh, basically, uh, a jumpstart for USC um, and they finished within six points, but Arizona looked pretty good. Tabellus looked pretty good. Um, it's really important for me individually, personally, that uh, 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 UCLA eviscerates Arizona tomorrow. <laughs> like, I want entrails on the floor. <laughs> know what I mean? Why is this such a personal thing for you, Dave? Well, um, they lost. The first time, and I spent the entire week prior um, talking. Um, I think the uh, the the technical term is mad shit uh, beforehand, and so what I would like to see is uh, UCLA back up that um, that you know that that talking I was doing and and uh, and win the game considerably by many points. So you've been some talking on social media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's okay. it's it's fun. It's fun. It's uh it's it's a fun game. But uh, is there anything specific? Any one or just generally 
uh, on social media that you just want to say, huh, see? No, 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 This is, just this is purely in support of my own, uh, you know, uh, my own my own BS. Okay. So, uh, but looking at the matchups, um, frankly, UCLA uh, played the most impressive defensive game of anyone this entire season against Arizona. Uh, holding them to 58 points under 0.9 points per possession. And if you remember after that game, Mick Cronin was pissed about, what was it? The uh, defense. Would that be defense? Yes, yes. He was He was <laughs> livid about the defense that held Arizona, the top offense in the Pac-12, to under 0.9 points per possession. I, I, I want to see them hold Arizona in the 50s again. I want to see that. Because I think that's going to be... The biggest telltale sign for how ready this team is for postseason play is how able they are to dominate this offensively skilled, but not particularly athletic uh, Arizona team. Righto. That's what I want to see. All right. It's just it's just going to be fun. It'll be if a fun. You ever, I mean, if you if you haven't gone to like hang out at the Luskin Center before a game or after a game. It's really fun. Really crowded. Hard to get a drink at that bar. They do something really funky. You got to wait in this long line. Yeah. Um, but really, really, really fun. Yeah. Go do it. Go hang the out. The best hotel in the world. The best. The best hotel in the world. Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Um, um, yeah. So that's all that. Uh, this weekend, there is also something else going on. Um, football. College programs across the country are hosting, having big recruiting weekends as, I mean, it's all relative. You know, UCLA doesn't have kind of like big weekends, <laughs> recruiting weekends under Chip Kelly, but you could say this is one. Yep. I, I don't kind of remember them. I mean, they've got like 20 guys coming to campus. Yep. I don't... Uh, maybe five to seven at the most before this is like their biggest kind of recruiting weekend for juniors and sophomores that I, and freshmen that I can remember. Right. It's going to be pretty crazy. I mean the, the big guy, well, first off, if you read the piece on Monday that I wrote that it was analyzing 2024's high school recruiting needs, given now that we're in the, transfer portal era this year with 2023 UCLA has right now as it stands has 14 commitments from high school 14 from transfers you can probably even assume that always going forward under Chip Kelly it's going to be 50 50 or even tilt towards transfer recruiting so given that let's just say UCLA brings in 14 high schoolers a year that doesn't give them really a lot of scholarships to give out to high school players. Um, but there's an interesting, so right now where we stand, who knows who's going to be in the transfer portal, right? Even in May, we don't even know, but much less next off season. So recruiting right now is about the 2024 high school class. But UCLA knows it's going to go 50-50, so it's got to recruit the high school class with an eye on the transfer portal in general. So there are certain positions where, you know, we talked about it last week, those that you just need to recruit high schoolers and transfers, and others where you could maybe not have to 
recruit the high school class as extensively as you used to because you know you're going to be able to pull out ready-made, ready-to-play uh, guys from the transfer portal. Given having said all that, we did say before, offensive line, defensive line, you need a steady mix. Uh, even maybe leaning a little bit towards high school recruiting. Develop those guys, get them in your program, develop them physically, develop them technique-wise. So that all leads up to... UCLA's defensive line recruiting right now, which probably between offense, uh, high school and transfer, they're going to need four guys, five guys maybe. Um, one guy who's – they've only offered two or three high schoolers. One guy who's coming in is from uh, Northern California, Jericho Johnson, has a lot of decent offers. I think it's fantastic that on this weekend he's choosing to unofficially come in and visit UCLA. Um no-brainer that he's going to get an offer, uh, I, I would think. <laughs> it's a no-brainer for me. I, I got um, to call timeout, Tracy. We've got some breaking news. Oh, no. Chip Kelly has signed a contract extension through 2027. Oh, there you go. And I'm sure there are details. I'm, I've got the release right now. Okay. Uh, I like the way you did that. It was, we need like a special report. Yeah, I know. A graphic <laughs> Martin Jarman says, I'm report. excited about our football program under the leadership of, Chip, of Coach Kelly and his talented staff. The football program is on an upward trajectory, both on the field and in the classroom. Coach Kelly and his staff have done a tremendous job of developing young men as demonstrated by their academic excellence. No word about uh, the buyout, which is probably the key detail. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. And you think that's more important than Jericho Johnson? <laughs> anyway, that's kind of the headliner for me. An offer, I would not expect a commitment, but the offer and for UCLA to, after this weekend, to actually become maybe one of his favorites, that would be that would be really, really, really key. There are a lot of other, I mean, it's fun to say there are a good number of 2024 guys coming in. So watch that. We'll probably be, you know, our intrepid crew of Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins and Blair Angulo. We'll be calling, talking to all these guys. Hey, hey have you seen that? Have you seen the video of Brandon? He's, uh, it's he, a, um, he's a beautiful man. Oh, my gosh. Brandon, you're looking svelte. First off, the glasses are so working for me. Yeah, love no, it. It's it's getting me going a little bit. And the beard is the little. That's not even a goatee. What do you call it when it's just under your some chin lip whiskers. and then on your chin? Yeah, some chin whiskers. Has has gone white. Yeah, no, which it's contrasts a good look for him. with the with the dark. It's a look. Yeah, I know we're really into Brandon. Where we love Brandon. I was just, but I like the look. You got to stay with the glasses, dude. Yeah, yeah. and you're looking svelte. Okay, super svelte. Um, anyway, something to watch this weekend, which makes this weekend for UCLA fans particularly fun because you got that Arizona game and you got football recruiting. And I'm sorry, you got Marcus Adams Jr. coming in on his official visit. So a lot of fun to be had. You know, there's one thing y'all should do too. You know, I, I know we're not going out. Not too many students are listening to this. Um. It's a bunch of old guys. But like a Marcus Adams chant would be really cool. Don't you think? Yeah, and it's a good name to chant because you've got two syllables on both ends. Mm -hmm. You can Mm -hmm. go, Marcus Adams. Mm -hmm. 
bum, bum, bum. You know, it's really easy. Yeah. So do it. Do it. Uh, they used to do that pretty frequently. I, I think there was a um, – people blame the students in some ways, which yeah, it always kind of falls on deaf ears for me. I think there's been a lot of factors that have impacted things. First, they've got uh, worse seats. I won't say they're, you know, the horrible seats, but they're not great. Two, um, uh, it's really discounted how much bad seasons impact the, like, institutional memory of, like, um, basketball or football or anything. If you're really bad for a while, like, the, the, the hardcore still go to games, but you lose kind of, like, that the hangers-on. And a lot of the traditions, a lot of the, like, built-in knowledge about this stuff gets lost. You know, like, hey, when a recruit comes, you're supposed to, like, chant his name and, you know, get him to acknowledge you so that he knows that, you know, you know he's loved. Um, it's, 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 it's difficult to maintain that kind of connection when you're dealing with a bunch of years of Steve Alford. Um now, by this point, they should be getting better at it. But again, there was the pandemic. It's hard. So yeah, we're all still recovering. So, students, show you can uh, show you can be a student section for an elite program. Chant the recruit's name. Do your job. That's your job. That's your job this weekend. And if can you're if you're a, a young alumni, if you're a young alumni, yeah. and you know some students, or you just look young enough, go down to the student section and say, "Hey, you idiots." Go find, like, the, the leaders. Uh, is there still the den? Go find the leaders of the den and say, hey, you idiots. It's always, it's always good when you want someone to do something for you yeah. to start out, you idiots. Have them locate him in the arena and start chanting his name. Okay? Okay. I think uh, we're relying on it. Bros, you gotta you got to make this happen. Yeah. It's all on you and the students. All right. Um, and, then, and then it was your boy. I got to just say, Seth Davis, I think he tweeted out last night at about – Six ten something about the crowd at Poly Pavilion. He's uh, he, he. The thing is, he's. I was saving the Seth Davis he, for last. He, he's such I just a want you he's such him. a sh- like a bad troll, um, and he's not really good at it. Like he gets a rise out of you because it's so obnoxious and he's got a platform, but he just own goals all the time. Because first, first in that tweet. Uh, he tweeted it right, like you said, in the first like ten minutes of the game. It's six p.m. in Los Angeles. Wh- what do you think's going to happen? By halftime, it was a sellout, or nearly. Um, it was it was twelve thousand plus people in that in the in the in the arena. So it was a great attended game. So that's first. Second, in the same tweet, he said, "You know they're going to have to. You know they're not going to be treated to this kind of crowd next year on the road because that idiot has forgotten." That UCLA doesn't enter the Big Ten for two years. <sighs> Next year, they're still going to be in the Pac-12. They're still going to be going to Gill Coliseum in front of the screaming twenty-five hundred. Like he makes it so easy. He's That's just bad. Thing. He's so yeah. bad. I do not know why he continues to fail upward. Um, he was bad at SI for a really long time. Now he's bad with the athletic, and he's just an unspeakable troll. And he can't even summon the courage to like write anything worthwhile about the Brandon Williams thing with Alabama, which we talked about last week. That was the that was. The but worst. then he ended that up writing something, egregious. and it was defending Nate Oates um, yeah. because he wants access to that program. He is, um, you know, it's it's hard to like make judgments about somebody's moral character from like just basic things they do in their job, but you know that guy's a piece of crap. You just know, you a hundred percent know it's it's without question because. Somebody who wasn't would have a little bit more integrity and, you know, 
not focus on minor BS and instead actually, you know, when there's an opportunity to, you know, show some, you know, some courage, integrity, some integrity, all those things. And you just completely whiff on it because you're an access journalist and that's all you are. You know, you're, you're telling on yourself. That was perfect. Um, Pac-12. <laughs> oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Uh, so so you, you first say what you put on that. Okay. What are you going to do? It's not the Pac-12. It's not going to be the... It's not going to be the podcast of champions. I don't know. But anyway, on that... You, you haven't thought about it with Ryan yet? I mean, we've thought about it. We just don't know what okay. we're going to do. Um, okay. So on that stupid show... Um, I, uh, brought up something that was shared with me. So this is, so first people think I'm, uh, like there's speculation on a Reddit post that I'm just making this shit up. I wish I was, that'd be funnier. Um, he, here's what happened. That's what the, uh, I love Reddit. The last, Reddit is the last, the week worst of, part of our society comes out on the Reddit. last week of June this year or the past year, uh, buddy of mine says that his friend told him that UCLA and USC are out and they're going to the Big Ten, had I heard anything. And me being, you know, a really instinctual journalist, like a real intrepid reporter, a guy who just knows and really gets to the bottom of things, laughed and said, no, come on, get the hell out of here. Two or three days later, John Wilner posts his thing and, and they're off to the Big Ten. So I'm like, oh, wow, that guy had the scoop. And I joked about it on this podcast and the other one. Where I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I had that information first and did nothing with it. Then this week uh, was told, same thing from the same guy, from the same friend of a friend, uh, that Colorado and Utah are 100% out of the big uh, out of the Pac-12. Uh, no destination, no any other information. Literally nothing else besides Colorado and Utah are 100% out. So what am I to do, right? I have no way of evaluating this source. I don't even know the guy's name. But... 100% right about the Big Ten. So I go on my stupid show. And I say, hey, here's the thing I heard. Share all the details. You know, because I believe in transparency when I'm going to share some stupid rumor. I don't know the guy, but he was right this time. So here it is. And uh, so there it is. Utah and Colorado. That's what, I, that's what I've heard. So that's what you heard. Yes. And then I have a source. And... Uh, you gotta admit, over the years, my source—well, my sources—but I've been I've been pretty close to reporting on what's happening out there in the world of college sports and conference realignment and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm hearing. <laughs> I got an I'm hearing in on the podcast, Dave, um, that uh, Utah is absolutely happening. To the Big 12, but that um, not hearing that much on Colorado, but Arizona State would be its buddy, its partner that moves to the Big 12. Um, yeah, so there's obviously been a lot of things happening lately. We'll probably hear a lot more this uh, next week. Um, the Pac-12's deal is a streaming deal with Amazon and Apple. Uh, not very lucrative. ESPN will still have the rights to carry a, a, uh, a game. 
just, wow. I, I mean, even if the Pac-12 exists or Pac-whatever exists in this kind of form, that's still just the death of the conference, pretty much. And then one other thing, having completely, but I mean, I might as well throw this out. Doesn't matter anymore. Um, Washington and Oregon would be possibly willing to take, uh, accept an invitation to the Big Ten at a considerably discounted media rate. Now, of course, this is all always fluid. It's been fluid from day one. Uh, so things change. But I heard that's a possibility also. And um, all in all, I think Washington and Oregon taking a discounted media rights package with the Big Ten is probably a win overall for UCLA, I think. For one thing, you're making more media deal money. Two, helps you with, with travel. Uh, there'll be a West Coast, more of a West Coast uh, version of the Big Ten. Um, I think overall a good, uh, that would be a good deal. Uh, of course, the naysayers will go, no, we don't want Oregon and Washington to have any, you know, have anything to do with the Big Ten. They can live in the dying Pac-10. Um, but that's, that's what we're hearing as of now. So obviously Dave has his information, mine slightly different between the Colorado and the ASU thing. Um, and I know this will set off Arizona fans. We're not doing this specifically to get you mad. This is just what we're hearing from completely independent sources, not UCLA sources. This is no grudge against Arizona. We have no grudge against Arizona. This is just what we're hearing. Well, I, I mean, I do. I want them to. I know you their... do, but you're not doing this out of your grudge. You do other things out of your grudge, but this isn't it. True. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I don't have a grudge. So there you go. That's that's the that's the dealio. That's the. Grudgeless. That's the that's the happenings. That's the, you know, what I've heard from a friend of a friend, and then what Tracy's got from his source. So. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. That's about it. Put a That's bow it. on it. Um, That's a lot. That was a lot. It's a tight show. Uh, if anyone wants to transcribe this, we will run it as a, people are saying you want kind of like a, a review of like things that are happening. We agree. I just don't want to transcribe this. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. We write a lot. We write a we lot. Write a lot but it'd be great if someone wanted to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. See you all at the Arizona game. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.